Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around mental health while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize talking about our mental health and providing tangible resources and guidance to anyone who might be struggling or who knows someone that is. Today, I am so happy to be joined by business leader, entrepreneur, and mental health advocate, Daniela Pearson. Daniela is the founder and CEO of The Newsette, a next-gen media company and custom creative agency that empowers, motivates, and informs women every morning. She is also the co-founder of the mental health-focused company Wondermind with singer and actress Selena Gomez and her mother, Mandy Teefee. A self-made multimillionaire, Daniela built her company despite struggles with her mental health, and now she's using her brand to uplift others who feel like their mental health struggles could keep them from achieving their goals. Daniela joins me now to talk all about her journey and how she was able to turn the challenges she faced into a drive for success. Hi, Daniela. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan of the show ever since we talked when I was in London a few months ago. So I'm honored for you to have me and just really excited to get into everything mental health and beyond. I know. I'm so glad that we got the opportunity to connect this summer because I have been following you for a long time and wasn't fully aware of your full story and journey, but it's so incredible. And you know, I knew immediately that you are someone that we needed to have on the show. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Well, as I told you in London over tea, uh, very fancy, that I've been a longtime fan of yours. And I know that we featured you in the news set. And so I've kind of been a stalker of just following your career and, <laughs> and how amazing you've done in the fashion world and building your own personal brand and now with this incredible podcast. And so congratulations on everything. I'm so in awe of everything that you've done. Oh my God, that's so sweet. Obviously, so many people know you as this business powerhouse who founded her own company in her dorm room, which is amazing. I definitely was not starting companies in my dorm room. And you built it into a business that is valued at over $200 million. Incredible. That is a truly impressive feat all on its own, but you also did it while personally struggling with your mental health. Tell us a little bit about when you first started to realize that you were facing challenges with your mental health. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for that kind intro. But yeah, I, gosh, it's, it it feels like forever ago. And I guess it was, I'm, I'm 28 now. I started my business in college as a sophomore. I went to Boston University. I started it at 19 years old. And so it's almost been 10 years since I started the Newsette. And Basically, 
my mental health struggles have started since I was a child. So I remember some of my earliest memories were in my childhood home in Jacksonville, Florida, having to close the garage door a certain amount of times, usually four, because that's my OCD number and not feeling right until I did that. And then going to bed or looking under the bed a few amount of times until I felt comfortable in my stomach. OCD isn't the same for everybody, but for me, it was very ritualistic. And so I was doing all these things that my family kind of thought were maybe a weird quirk or something. And I'm half Colombian. So I grew up with some of my Colombian family, my grandparents, my aunt and uncle, they all immigrated to America. So I grew up with them constantly in the household. And my mother is from Colombia as well. She moved here when she was in her 20s. And then my dad's side of the family is from Niagara Falls. He's a very tough man man. And so mental health was just not something that was a topic, especially not when I was seven years old over 20 years ago. Right, People weren't thinking about, oh, is she doing something that might be connected to mental health? They just thought maybe I was trying to get attention or I was a little weird or whatever. And so as the years went on, these rituals began to increase and become even more distracting in my everyday life. So then all of a sudden, when I was in high school, I would have to check every single lock in the entire house before anyone went to bed. And then I felt safe. And all of these different rituals, they're called. So things that you do to make yourself feel better. So mm-hmm. they say OCD is the what if syndrome. And so you know that you don't have the power to prevent something like somebody intruding in your house, but you're like, okay, but what if I didn't check every single door and one was open and an intruder comes in and robs our family? I could have prevented that. And so that's kind of the vicious cycle that OCD does and Mm. kind of explains why the rituals make you feel better. And it was honestly taking over my life. And at that point, when I finally got into high school, we all had to take this mandatory health class. And one week of the health class was all about mental health. And all of a sudden, they introduced this mental illness called OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And all of the things that the teacher is saying, I'm like, oh my God, that's me. And before that, I had no idea why I had to do these things, why it would literally physically make me wow. in pain not to do these rituals. And and I thought if I didn't do it, what if something happened to my family and all those things? And finally, that year, freshman year of high school, I got the answer that I was looking for. It's called OCD. And I looked into it. I looked it up and I told my parents, you know, I want to go see a therapist. And at that point, that was over 10 years ago, like maybe 12 or 15 years ago. And they were like, absolutely not. We're not having a a daughter that goes to a therapist. You know, it was just so taboo, (laughs) especially in the Hispanic culture that I grew up in, especially in, you know, the culture that my dad grew up in, where it's like, oh, if you break your arm, like toughen up or whatever, you know, it's just very different cultures. And so I felt very alone. And luckily, you know, my journey evolved from there and I was able to seek help but that's really when I figured out, okay, I have something that actually is something that is different in my brain. And it's not something that is just to get attention or some sort of personality quirk. And so it really felt very freeing, finally realizing, even though I was so young and I had zero power to do anything about it, that I finally found the answer I was looking for for so many years before that. So I'd love to know, going a little bit deeper with this realization and going to your parents about it, 
what did it really take for them to understand that you actually needed help? Because also, what was their interpretation of these rituals that you had? I think when I was little, they would think it was cute and like funny and almost like my family would laugh about it because they'd see me in the kitchen, you know, closing all of the drawers. And if the pantry door was a little cracked open, I had to, you know, close it all the way. And I think they just thought it was a quirk. But as I got older, my parents would almost get mad at me when they would see me do these things. And I would tell my mom, but mom, if I don't do this, I'm going to feel like if something happens, it's going to be all my fault and I could have prevented it. And she tried to basically reason with me as if I was someone that didn't have OCD and be like, you know, that's not true. And and you know that just you doing that is going to make it worse. So she almost was trying to help, but Unless you are, you know, a licensed professional, you don't know how to help people with OCD. And the difference between someone with OCD versus someone with some sort of mental disorder where they actually are delusional or not in touch with reality is people with OCD know that by doing XYZ, I'm not going to save my family. But like, what if there's a 1% chance that like it does? And so I was fully aware that it was weird that I was doing all of these things, but I still needed to do it anyways, because it was almost like a feeling in my gut, like just do it. Like what's the harm in doing it? If you don't do it, what if XYZ happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And so my mom really tried to reason with me and it was almost frustrating because it was like, now she feels so bad. There's been a huge evolution in how my parents think about it now that it's less taboo and that there's more information out there. But, you know, when I was 14, which was almost 15 years ago, because I'm 28, there was no one talking about mental health, especially not OCD. It was something that people didn't even hear about, or they would use in a sentence like, oh, I'm so OCD. I have to have everything perfect in my room. And I was actually a pretty messy person. Like I would have a very messy room and my backpack would be all messy. And so my parents were like, you're not OCD, like you're messy. And so it was just a lot of misunderstanding. And I think my parents were very afraid that if I went to a therapist or if I got help and, you know, people found out that what if people found out at school and ruined my chances of getting to college, they're all very, now looking back, very strange worries that I don't think anybody's worrying about today. But I don't blame them so much because really the cultural aspect combined with no one else talking about it, combined with them kind of wanting to push it under the rug, I understand why they were hesitant to get me help. And so I basically handled it on my own and didn't really talk about it. And I did research by myself, but through high school, I just tried to sweep it under the rug. When I went to college, on the other hand, I think the first few years I was so obsessed with making new friends, finding out who I was. I had a roommate freshman year, so like I couldn't really do a lot of the rituals and it was okay, you know, when I'm in public with people or when this used to be a huge part of my life, I'm very germaphobic. But if I would shake someone's hand, like a, you know, a business person's hand, I wouldn't immediately like bring out the Clorox or like the bleach and like, you know, wash my hands. I, I could be able to stay and be normal. And so I would almost freshman year of college, I almost buried it under the rug. But then sophomore year, when I started my business, all of the stresses came out and I was living alone. And so I think the rituals came back in a big way. But where it really got to a head was my junior year, the last semester of my junior year. I was doing the news ad. It was growing. I 
only had me. Uh, I like to say I had three employees when I started the news at me, myself, and I. And so I was chief janitor officer, chief writing officer, chief everything officer. And I got to a point where I wake up at 5 a.m. and then do the news at until 10 a.m. Then run to class from 10 a.m. to 12, do class, then go to the study room and for three hours just do the news at interview whoever wasn't going to be in the next issue, whatever it was, then run to class, then run back to the study room. And I basically just worked these 18 hour days. And it was so fun for me, except for the class part, because I was like, I wish I was just out there growing my business and not learning about these accounting principles that are important. But like, if I built this business, I'm not going to be the one that's going to be doing this. I'm going to have to outsource that. And so I think I was really stressed out because I thought I was wasting a lot of time while being in college because I knew what I wanted to do, but I had zero funding. My parents barely knew about it. My parents actually discouraged me from starting my own business, but I knew that I had to create a job for myself before I graduated or else no one would hire me because I basically put all of my eggs in that basket. And so I was really stressed. And then junior year, the last semester, I ended up failing our entrepreneurship project. And it was this huge thing in the business school. Everyone knew there was this entrepreneurship project called Core and that it's almost like there's legends about it. Oh, you're going to stay up all night for two weeks, whatever it was. And it's basically where they put you in a group with eight to 10 people and they ask you to start a business. And the whole concept is so unrealistic because there's no co-founders, eight to 10 of them, you know, all starting a business. And so basically it just turned out that everybody knew 10% of the business and had to present it. But the other ridiculous part of the project is one person had to fail per group. And instead of being judged by a boss or a VC in the real world, as you would, so being judged by the teachers, we were actually peer graded. And so I kind of became the scapegoat of this group because they knew I also had another business. So even though I had contributed plenty, at least to get a B or a B plus on the project, I'm not saying I should have gotten an A, they actually chose me to fail the project because once they would finish for the day with their stuff, I would go immediately do Newsette stuff. And so they became very close. And so I ended up failing the project. So basically all the teachers were like, you should not be an entrepreneur. You failed this project. And I had to retake all of those classes. And I got a letter from the dean that basically said, if you don't get your grades to this certain GPA, and it's not just take the rest of your classes, it's take all of these classes plus these four classes that you failed because the project was 50% of that grade, then we're going to kick you out of college one semester before graduation. And when I got that news, basically the end of the year, my junior year, I completely collapsed into this depression and my OCD became so horrible that it literally controlled every aspect of my life. And I finally had to, behind everyone's back, behind my parents' back, I had to take some Newsette savings that I had from affiliate sales, et cetera. So I had no funding for the Newsette. I was doing everything for free and every affiliate sale I would put into, you know, maybe getting a better graphic designer to help or whatever it was. We weren't monetizing at all with advertising yet. I didn't do that until the month before my graduation. So I used that little savings to pay for a psychiatrist and a therapist, and they are so ridiculously expensive. I couldn't do it through insurance because I didn't want my family to know. And basically I went there, I told them the whole story, sobbing the entire time that essentially I was going to be kicked out of this school if I didn't get my grades together. And I was also had this startup that was 
now blossoming and I didn't know what to do. And my parents didn't even know that I was failing and it felt like the end of the world. And the therapist or the psychiatrist looked at me and said, okay, we're going to get through this. And she prescribed me medicine and I immediately went on the medicine and it completely changed my entire life because it's almost like all of the emotions that were up to here. So like above my head that had to do with anxiety and OCD and being mad and all of these things, it completely put those to a normal level where I wasn't being controlled by my OCD anymore. Therefore, when I would sit down at the computer and actually try to do my work, try to do news that stuff, I I wasn't just bursting into tears. I was actually being able to get my stuff done. And so that was the turning point for me the summer before senior year where I felt like I could actually do this. And I ended up not only passing all of the classes that I had to pass, but I actually graduated on the dean's list. So I uh, basically went from the lowest GPA to the highest GPA because the last semester was all about entrepreneurship. And I had these incredible teachers that actually believed in me and were saying things like, you know, the newsette is totally going to work and et cetera. And that was the first time I had ever heard that from anybody because besides my mom, everyone else was really unsupportive of me basically only putting all my eggs in the news at basket and not trying to find a job or anything. And so that really changed my life. I'm curious how you felt when you found out that you could go on medication for your OCD. What was that like? Did you feel hesitant or were you just like, Mm -hmm. yep, please give me whatever, like fix me? Yeah, that's a really good question. And honestly, it's different for everybody. So I get a lot of people who ask me, like, should I go on medication? And I usually say, you know, look, this was my journey with it and my, the result of me getting on medication, but I obviously am not a professional. And so when I speak about medication, it's really in my own experience, but I do highly recommend anybody who is suffering from a mental health issue to talk to their doctor and see if medication, even starting out, and I know that this is the case for everybody who's on medication, you start out with a very low dose and you kind of see how that goes. I think since I didn't have almost anybody to really talk to about this because I definitely wasn't telling my parents that I went to go see this super expensive, they're all expensive. And so that's why it's really great when healthcare can cover it, but it's obviously something that not everybody can do. And I was lucky that I had some of those news at affiliate sales savings to use, but I basically had to use it all because of how expensive those things are. Right. But when I first talked to the psychiatrist and she was like, okay, we're going to put you on this medication and it's basically going to help take away all the intrusive thoughts. And the intrusive thoughts are like, oh God, did I turn off my oven? What are my parents doing? Are they driving? Are they going to get into an accident? Mm -hmm. What uh, what about my grades? I'm going to fail. Like this doesn't happen to me. Like I'm not the person that comes out at the top and the end of the story. You know, all of these things that literally I would have thousands of thoughts just every single day bombarding my mind and not enabling me to actually fix the problem, which was passing the classes and growing the news ad, et cetera. Yeah. So when she told me that, it almost sounded like, Yes. However, 
I had been in this bubble growing up where I didn't know anybody who took any medication for any mental illness, let alone OCD. I'd only, you know, heard right. about the medications Same. on TV commercials of like, if you're depressed or if you have bipolar and it usually was, you know, an older woman or man. And mm-hmm. it just didn't, I didn't have any sort of concept of what that was. I also was very, because they were very upfront with me of the potential side effects of this might not be the right drug for you. So we might have to switch you off in like a month, et cetera. And that scared me. And, you know, I was worried. And I think a lot of people who have created jobs or creativity in what they do, even as a, you know, a hobby or a side hustle, people worry, is this going to take away that creativity? That's the one thing that a ton of people, even friends of mine have had worries about. And for me, it basically saved my life. It took away all of the extra emotions that I was feeling that were making me into this person that I wasn't and almost brought me down to a level where I could actually think about, rationally think about, okay, these are the steps I need to do in order to pass all these classes so I don't get kicked out of BU. And these are the steps I need to take in order to ensure that Newsette will be able to make money in my last few weeks of senior year so that I can move to New York and do all these things. Whereas the emotions before and the intrusive thoughts were keeping me from even solving my own problem. It was like analysis paralysis. And so I was pretty scared, but I was almost to the point where I was like, I felt so depressed, so emotional, so helpless Mm. that I was willing to try anything. Right. And they were starting me on a low dose, you know, all that stuff. And these medications, at least the one I started on, it wasn't something where you take it and then 30 minutes later you feel the effect. You have to take it for two weeks and then you start to feel the effect, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And Everyone in my life, no one knew I was on it except for a few of my close friends and my sister, my twin sister, but nobody else knew in my family. And I started to realize my family was like, you sound different and Mm. like in a good way. Right. And so when I finally told them, you know, months and months later, they were like, oh, and it's actually really good that I went on it because I don't think I would have been able to do what I had to do without it. Because I don't think medication is the only thing that if you, if you have mental health problems, just take medication, you're good. It has of to course. be mixed with psychotherapy or whatever you do with a doctor or a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do twice a week. But it really is the thing that kind of helps bring you to a place where you can actually do these treatments and they can help, at least for me. Yeah, I know it's not for everyone, but something that I'm really proud of is I recently was diagnosed uh, about two years ago with ADHD, which explains a lot because <laughs> when I started the news ad, I would literally sit in the chair and write the news ad from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. I wouldn't even get up to like get a coffee, go to the bathroom, nothing. I was just in my own world and I it almost was like I was in a high. And now I know that with my ADHD and the type I have, I get really excited about things and I'm able to work on them for like 12 hours straight. Mm. But if I'm not excited about something, for instance, geography or I don't know, geometry, whatever it is in high school, then right. like, I just cannot focus. And so it made a lot of sense to me. And so now I also take medicine for my ADHD, which has helped a lot. But now my little cousin who is 11, he was diagnosed with ADHD. And because of what I went through and I've been so open and honest about it, my aunt and uncle actually told me that it was a much easier decision for them to immediately get him on the medicine 
medicine and try it out instead of feeling like there was any taboo because they saw how much it changed my life for the better. And that brought me to tears basically because I was like, oh my gosh, now this next generation, if we're open about medicine being okay to take and nobody would judge you if you had a heart condition and we're taking medicine. So why do you feel like you'll be judged if you know you have OCD and you take medicine? And I understand why people think they'll be judged because society hasn't caught up to this thinking. But my goal and my desire to leave this earth with is basically being as honest as possible about my journey and hoping others will follow suit so that the next generation doesn't feel like they have to be embarrassed about talking about mental health, that it's almost cool or normal, just like you'd be talking about your physical health. I feel you on that. And I mean, that's so incredible. It's like you're also helping to heal your family lineage. There's no need to suffer. You can get help and there are lots of different resources. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It was... I think my entire family, when they found out I was taking medicine, was kind of like, what? And my father was furious. And my mom was really the only one that I told first. And she you know, had to convince them. But as soon as they saw how much it changed my life, no one could be mad at me because they were like, look, whatever you're doing right. is making you a kinder person to everyone around you, is making <laughs> you less anxious to like, if one of your little baby cousins coughs, you're not like, I have to go in a bubble or go in a separate room because I'm a germaphobe and mm-hmm. that goes with OCD. Same. They saw it change me so much that even my dad now, who is so old school, talks openly about, oh yeah, I have OCD. And he talks about it a little bit, almost like not a joke, but almost offhandedly, he would never have a conversation about his OCD and why he thinks he has it. But I definitely got my OCD from him. Yeah. And now I even uh. hear him telling people like, oh yeah, I'm very OCD about that. And I'm like, wow, I don't think mm-hmm. he'll ever get on medicine, but it right. was a very big jump. And Basically, why I have invested so much time in co-founding Wondermind and talking, you know, so freely on stages, you know, at Forbes or Fortune, et cetera, in front of great entrepreneurs, but then also just people who want to be successful in their lives and being so open about my trauma and my mental illnesses and how I deal with them every day. And that it's not like everything's perfect now. I have very bad days. It's always up and down. It's always a journey of me learning. It's always a journey of me having to stick to, you know, I need to see my therapist, even though I have all of these different things going on, all these meetings, et cetera. It's always me learning and being able to adapt with my schedule and make it a priority to see my therapist and do the things I need to do. But the reason why I've spent so much time on this is because I truly believe that you have to see it to be it. And when I was 19 starting my own business, I did not see a Latina 20-something with zero Ivy League pedigree, no VC funding, no anything, having OCD, ADHD, depression, all these things. I never saw someone like that that would become you know, a multimillionaire at 25 or whatever happened. And so now people can see that someone like me with all of these faults, that if I was able to do it, anyone can do it. And people say all the time to me, thank you so much. You're so brave for speaking out, but I'm not brave. And I I said this actually last year at the Forbes 30 Under 30 Summit. I had a great conversation with Andy Dunn, the founder of Bonobos. He actually wrote a book called Burn Rate, and it's incredible about his struggle with bipolar. Mm -hmm. But I said very openly, 
I do not feel brave because I waited until I was on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine and Forbes, you know, all of these things. I had millions of dollars. I had quote unquote made it. It was six years into my business. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to be open about it. That's not brave, you know? (laughs) And so I'm hoping that I can hopefully, my story can inspire others to feel like they can build a workplace culture or just a culture in general with their society. And if they're in minority groups, et cetera, where people start saying those things before they feel like they're untouchable or that they don't have to, you know, suffer because they might not get that next funding round because they were so open and honest about these things. Right. So I just like to make that clear that I am open and honest, but the real people who are brave are those being open about all of these things when they still are paving the way for their company and still have a lot to lose. Yeah. Well, I think it's still brave because look, it's like, yeah, you've made it and you could easily well just also be quiet and keep these very personal things to yourself. But you also obviously realize the impact of the platform that you have and the changes that you can make. So I do still think it is very commendable that you are (sighs) so outspoken about your mental health. Thank you. Now, you obviously mentioned you have a twin sister who is an author. And like a leader on book talk. <laughs> yes. And I know the two of you are, are obviously very close and she was the valedictorian in your class growing up. Did comparisons with her ever impact the way you viewed yourself and the challenges you were facing at the time? Yeah. So it's funny. I've been very open about this narrative as well, but when my sister and I were identical twins and my mother is an immigrant from Colombia and she is an oral surgeon. She became an oral surgeon at 23 years old. So oh, she's a damn. genius. Go mom. Go mom. Yes. My father's from Niagara Falls, New York, and basically started by washing cars, fixing cars, et cetera, and worked his way up until he finally was able to open a dealership. And so both of my parents are hustlers, but my dad never went to college. My mom was genius. Like they just have their own strengths. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very much like my dad, whereas my sister sister is very much like my mom. Mm. So school was so exciting to her. Whereas I would always thought, you know, I'm not going to be the person studying the earth's crust. So like, why do I have to know that? And it's so ridiculous that the school system makes you learn about the same five topics 17 different times from elementary school to high school. And it's like, can I learn about taxes? Would that be okay? Because like, I would love a course on that. (laughs) But my sister was top of the class. And so I realized that people would call me the dumb twin and my sister (sighs) the smart twin. I was my sister's biggest fan. She was such a recluse and was always studying. And we didn't have many friends growing up, but I I definitely was more outgoing. (laughs) Yeah, I was very definitely more outgoing than she was, and we always had each other. And so basically, my junior year, I realized that my sister was getting all these incredible letters from these colleges like Harvard and Columbia and you know, UPenn, et cetera. And I was basically getting letters from colleges saying, like, don't apply because I had like straight <laughs> C's and like a B. And my parents never compared us. We basically would get the same allowance if I got all B's and C's and my sister had to get all A's because they knew that that was what she was mm. capable of. So at least they understood that like, look, I was really trying, but right. you know, they didn't know at the time, but it was really much harder for me. Yeah. But then I realized, oh my gosh, if I keep getting these mediocre grades, I'm going to be stuck in Jacksonville, Florida my entire life. And I don't want that. I want to go to a big city. So 
I doubled down and I basically said, okay, I'm going to use the eight hours I'm at school, every lunch period, every free period during the class, whatever, to just cram everything into my mind for the test, for the classes, et cetera, and just use that time purely for school. And once I did that, I literally went from straight C's and, you know, one B to straight A pluses. Wow. Basically overnight. And it was because I was just sitting there at a Panera, just like reading the whole thing right before a test and doing the test and getting an A plus on the test. And that's when I realized my nickname because I got an A plus on a test and the teacher like came and gave it to me. And someone was like, what? I thought you were the dumb twin. I was like, what? And so there was never any sort of rivalry between me and my sister. I was the person clapping my hands you know, like screaming like a crazy person on the bleachers when my sister would get an award or was in the homecoming committee because of her grades. So I was never jealous of her. I think people, my family was just really worried about me and what would happen where I would go to school, et cetera. And so once I was able to kind of prove that I could do that, that's when I think people were like, okay, sigh of relief. And that's the only reason why I got into BU because of that transformation junior and senior year. But no, it it never made me feel less than to be compared to her because I was her biggest fan. What did make me feel less than is if teachers and people in high school and even college, they can be really cruel sometimes. Of and course. They can make you feel like if you don't know how to do this specific geometry class or if you don't know how to this specific accounting method, you are dumb or you are not fit for business. Right. And it's just not true. Nope. I'm telling right now, whoever is listening, nobody in the world is going to want to hire somebody who is just as good as math as they are science, as they are in English, as they are in, I don't know, geography, whatever. No one, like, if you're like that, if you're good at everything, that means that you, okay, you check all those boxes, but you're not amazing at one thing. And so obviously you should try for all of your classes, but if math isn't your thing, you should not feel like you're stupid. And that's how I felt, you know? Yeah. Look at you, Chrissy, with your incredible career. I'm like math and science. Yeah. You probably haven't had to talk about an amoeba (laughs) for decades now and neither have I. And so it's, it's, I hate how the school system, some teachers make you feel like, oh, if you don't get this, you're dumb. Not like, oh, okay, you're probably really good at English though. Or like try, right. if this, if you don't like this, then that's fine. There are plenty of careers where you never have to touch a calculator or a Bunsen burner ever. Oh my so God. Th- that's, that's what made me feel stupid. And right. so that's what took away my confidence. And yeah. once I did the newsette and I started seeing that I actually could do these things like write, like market it, like get the attention of these people that were huge, you know, media companies reaching out to me and saying the news that has given us so much traffic. Like, what is this? Can we talk to your team? That completely built me. It made me who I am because I had zero confidence. And by building the news that I proved to myself that there was a different way to be successful, even if I wasn't acing all of my classes. Yes. I definitely wish that there was more emphasis going through grade school that, as you said, it's like just because you're not good at history class or just because you're not Mm -hmm. good at science doesn't mean things aren't going to work out for you. Everyone also just like learns differently, right? In the same sense that people work differently, but there's just no room for that. The way that all schools are structured, it's just like, okay, well, you have to learn this way. You have to learn these things. And there's just no room for sort of 
being outside the box. And I think it can probably cause a lot of confusion for kids when, yeah, they feel like, okay, I'm I'm just not good at this and maybe I'm not good at anything else. And it's hard. And I hope this conversation makes it to the right ears to know that just because you're not good in grade school or even college doesn't mean that you can't be successful. For sure. And I think that also thinking about the different ways now, you know, when I was in high school, even college, it was like very clear path. Like, okay, if I'm in the business school, you have to be a consultant or you have to work at a bank. You know, it was very cut and dry. And I could not see myself doing any of that stuff, which is why I was like, I have to make my own business because no Mm -hmm. one's going to hire me. So I have to hire myself. And so hopefully now this next generation has seen you can literally become a multimillionaire at 22 by becoming a content creator or by being a photographer, by sharing your opinions on a podcast, by doing things that were not jobs 10 years ago or six years ago when I graduated. There are so many other new things that people have paved the way to showcase that you don't have to go down the certain path that everybody thought you had to go down. You can actually make a name for yourself as a consultant, as a freelance writer, whatever it is. There's so many different ways that you can be entrepreneurial in what you love and what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be the person that is trying to compete for this one slot, this one job. And if you don't get it, then your world's over. I just hope that people can, you know, obviously those moments are very hard, but I feel when you think so singularly and think this is the path I have to go down and this is what I'm going to do. If anyone would have told me when I started my business that this would have happened to me, I would have laughed in their face. I didn't actually really think that I was going to make it. I was like, I just have to try. I didn't see anybody that was doing anything like me, let alone with all of my disadvantages. And so I just was like, I just have to keep going. I couldn't look to the left or the right. And Mm -hmm. so I encourage everybody who's listening to think about themselves as truly a unique person who can do anything. And just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean that you can't. And you shouldn't be looking at your peers left and right. You should just be looking straight ahead and pivoting and doing what you do best. And if it requires you to, you know, go to a more traditional job for a few years and have your passion as a side hustle, that's also good too. That's what I did basically in college. And so now people do it, you know, when they're doing other careers and they're Mm -hmm. building, you know, their personal brands around it. So I just encourage people to think outside of the box when it comes to what your career is and not letting anybody tell you what you're capable of. I almost failed out of VU business school. And then they (laughs) asked me to come back. And like two months ago, I did the commencement speech for the class of 2023. And I literally, I know, I almost got kicked out. And then they asked me back. Uh, But I literally said, do not let anybody tell you what you can and can't do. And if anyone has told you that you are going to fail, that you are not good enough, they're lying because the only person who can tell you what you can and can't do and tell the future is you. There's no one else that has a crystal ball. And if I would have listened to the hundreds of people who told me that I would have never made it, that I you know, wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, oh, nobody with OCD can actually be a successful business person. Look at all of these things that you have against you. You didn't raise funding, all of that shit. If I would have let that all you know, just pile upon me, and it did, I cried and everything, but you give yourself a good cry and then you get back up and you yep. prove them wrong. I know. it's. 
exactly like what Coco Golf just said when she won the U.S. Yeah. Open. She thanked the people who didn't believe in her. And she said, yes. those who thought you were putting water on my fire, you're really adding gas to it. And I just love that outlook so much. I love it too. Yeah. Thank when you become successful, thank the people that rooted for you, but thank the people that didn't believe in you even more because, and I said something similar when the article came out in Forbes, naming me the youngest, wealthiest, self-made woman of color in the world. I said in my Instagram post, thank you so much for everyone who believed me. But most of all, thank you to all the teachers that didn't believe in me and who failed me because you were the reason why I stayed up late into the night and during the weekends and tried to prove you wrong. And not that that's healthy, but like, (laughs) you know, it's just negativity. It helps you get to where you need to go. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Negativity and feedback is always good and you should always listen to everything, but take it with a grain of salt Mm. and let it fuel you, especially when people are ignorant enough to try to tell you what you can and can't do. Taking it back again to your earliest days of starting the new set in your dorm room. What was your actual inspiration behind it at the time? Like, where did the idea come from? Where did the name come from? Like, what was your initial goal with that? Yeah. So, I mean, we talked over tea in London Mm -hmm. about how I basically wanted to be you. I wanted to be a fashion editor. I wanted to be in the front row of these fashion shows and be in a magazine. That was my dream in Jacksonville, Florida. You know, the only thing that really took me out of my bubble of being somewhere where Dillard's was our biggest, you know, store (laughs) until like high school were these incredible magazines from Connie Nast and Hearst, et cetera. And so that was my dream. I wanted to work for a magazine, but I knew that with my grades that I was having in freshman year, because we were learning all about the earth's crust and, you know, biology and all these things in college where I was like, I thought I was just going to go into business classes. Right. I was so uninterested. So I wasn't going to get exceptional grades. I also didn't know somebody who knew somebody who was like a friend of an editor there, which is not always how you get, you know, an internship, but it is a big part of getting an internship of knowing somebody getting in the right room. And Mm -hmm. we've talked about Chrissy, how you basically defied all of those odds and (laughs) made such a big path for people to actually earn their way in. And so I love all of that, but I knew that that was never going to happen for me. And so I was like, well, what if I start my own magazine? Maybe this will help me get a job there, or maybe this will become my job. And so the concept was basically my favorite thing to do, the thing that would make me so happy and get me motivated for the day was to read through magazines or go on my 50 favorite websites. And so I thought, what if I could wrap basically everything that a woman like me, a millennial at the time, I I was a millennial as a 19 year old. And, you know, obviously the generations have changed and I was on the cusp of Gen Z, but I, I think I'm more millennial now with the new definition. But basically I was like any ambitious woman, like what would they want to read in the morning? That's almost like a gift in their inbox. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go on 50 of my favorite sites. I'm going to find out what the news is. So anything from fashion, beauty, business, tech, pop culture, women's rights, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and find, you know, the 
three or four biggest topics. And then I was going to break it down in these cheeky little paragraphs written completely by me and then linked out to the sources that I was using Mm -hmm. so that you would be able to know all of the things you wanted to know in five minutes or less. And then there would be, I curated Instagram photos because especially bloggers and stuff back then, it was a huge thing. And so then you could click on their profiles and go follow them. And then the last thing was every single day I had an interview with an incredible woman. So the first few people were like, a social media intern at Michael Kors because that's the only person that would take 30 minutes to do an interview with me between classes because they had no idea what the newsette was. And then, you know, it slowly grew to all of a sudden we featured Whitney Wolf of Bumble and like all of these household names, Cameron Diaz, you know, all of these incredible people as the business grew and grew. And we were able to say like, you know, oh, Whitney Wolf was in the newsette and then Aria Huffington wanted to be in the newsette and, you know, all of these other incredible women. So that took up so much time, but I really thought if reading something like this would make my day and make me feel like I can kick ass and take on the world because I'm reading a little bit about what's going on and it's not just hard hitting news, it's fun, fashion, et cetera, but also, you know, the stuff you need to know, then some like fashion and beauty and lifestyle wellness inspiration. And then an incredible interview of a woman like Erin Huffington telling you her morning routine or talking about how she got to where she was, whatever. That felt like the perfect bento box of information in an email. And that was really the concept. And as far as the name goes, I wanted it to be something like cute and fun. And so I had a list. I basically came up with the idea and I sent the first newsletter out the day after. And it was so shitty. There were so many typos. It was embarrassing. (laughs) But ever since that moment, January 2015, I never stopped writing it every single weekday, even when there were eight people reading it. I never missed a day for the first five years that I wrote it myself. And then I passed the baton to people much more capable and talented than I am. So I no longer write it, but I did it every single weekday for the first five years. Five and then years. I would start my yes. And then I would start my work day. So 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. I would write it, edit it. My sister would help me edit mm-hmm. it and read it and make sure there were no typos, etc. Right. Send it out. And then a full day of selling ads, interviewing more people, building the team, doing all this stuff. So it was a really crazy time. And I'm so lucky to have an incredible team now that makes it better than it ever could be when I was doing it. (laughs) But yeah, that was the initial idea. The name came from, I wanted it almost to be like the Gazette or something. So I was like, what if it's the Newsette? And it's N-E-W-S-E-T-T-E. And S-E-T-T-E is the last few letters of how you make some French words feminine. Mm. And so I was like, what if it's the Newsette? And my dad was like, with a Z, right? And I was like, no, with an S. And he's like, no one's going to get that. And I just decided to go for it. And I literally came up with the name the next day. I came up with the shitty logo I did in Canva and then a friend <laughs> of mine that I, you know, did a summer program with made a better logo for me. And mm-hmm. I just kept writing it and getting better every single day. Oh my God. What an incredible story. I just, I love it. Thank you. And so also a few years ago, you co-founded a new venture called Wondermind with this up-and-coming pop star named Selena Gomez. <laughs> well, I guess she's not a pop star. She's also an actress. She's many, many different things. Yes. And her mother, film producer Mandy Teefee. Tell us about the inspiration behind it. 
Yeah. So obviously Selena Gomez, I think she's the most famous person in the world. And I actually remember I was in college. I think it was the year I was graduating when she came out publicly that she had a mental illness and she was actually going to treatment. And I remember thinking, wow, Selena Gomez isn't afraid to say all of that and Mm -hmm. not afraid of what it's going to do to her career. Why would I be afraid? Totally. You know, I remember that moment reading it as somebody who didn't know her at all. And then we were lucky enough through something we were doing with DBF, who has been an incredible mentor to me. She found me when her CEO, they like reached out to me cold three years into the news at when I just moved to New York because they were readers and Diane von Furstenberg and Sandra Campos changed my life by just opening doors for me and giving me a chance when wow. they should not have given a 23-year-old with two <laughs> people on her team a chance to do these huge things. So I'll forever be grateful. But for what we did together, which was called The Weekly Wrapped. We were also interviewing great women who had this in-charge attitude, which is what Diane is all about, it being mm-hmm. in charge of your life. And so one of the people that Sandra connected us to, she was the CEO at the time, was Mandy Tiffy because they had worked together on Selena's line, Dream Out Loud, when she was a lot younger. It was a fashion line. Mm-hmm. And so I got in contact with Mandy and she gave an incredible and raw and honest interview about her mental health journey. And it was so inspiring and powerful that we asked a few months later, would you do something for the newsette and she happily did it. And it was so inspiring. We got so many people that were like, thank you for featuring someone who is so successful and still at the same time, so open about everything that she's gone through and the mistakes she made and what she did right and all that stuff. And so then basically I asked would you be open to doing an interview with a mother-daughter, Selena and yourself, talking to each other for the first time about that journey? Because I told them privately that me and my mom had a very, it was an evolving relationship about talking about mental health because, you know, at first she didn't want to talk about it at all. She kind of wanted to pretend it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And she felt so bad that she didn't support me in all these times. And my mom has always supported me so much. And now she's my biggest supporter with all of that because she understands it more. And they basically we were like, absolutely. And so I was shocked and so happy. This was, I think, in 2020 or maybe 2019. And so I got on the call with them. They were so incredibly open, honest, and real with me about their mental health struggles and how they talk to each other, etc. And at that call, I actually told them they were like the fourth and fifth people I'd ever told in my life that I had OCD. And I thought in that moment that they would judge me or something. And they made me feel so comfortable, like it was not a big deal. And we just all kept in touch and basically said, we've all achieved what we wanted to achieve at that point. The news that was doing incredibly well. I think that was the year that we were closing with $40 million in sales with eight figures of profit and only 14 people on the team. I was able to make my Colombian mother, who's an immigrant, a millionaire because I gave her a percentage on my company. So I was doing all these things where I was like, there's more that I need to do in the world. And I would be open to, I don't have the time for this, but none of us have the time for this. (laughs) But we were all so passionate about creating a space where just like physical fitness, you could actually work on your mental fitness and that it didn't have to be about, you know, oh, I have a mental illness or I have a problem. It could be for anyone who has feelings. So I feel angry. I feel lonely. Mm -hmm. I feel, you know, sad. And obviously those things feed into people having these 
clinical diagnosed mental health disorders, but we wanted to speak to everybody about like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel this way. And then also provide a platform that was almost like WebMD, but way chicer and sexier and more welcoming mm-hmm. where we talked to, you know, the best psychiatrist and talent in the world, the psychiatrists giving advice to these people, advice that would cost, you know, maybe a thousand dollars an hour, but we were able to bring it to the masses and then have the biggest names in the world, like Serena Williams, talk about her mental health on this platform. And so it really all just came together. And I'm really proud of the work that we did together. And I was the co-CEO. And then the Newsette started ramping up with everything we're doing with the Newsette, but also Newland, which is our agency. And so I'm a proud co-founder of the company and just really excited to see what is in the works. But I just feel very strongly that I had to do something that involved, you know, me putting my business hat on and figuring out how we can get investors and the market excited about investing in the mental health space. So that hopefully in five years, you know, there's so much VC capital in the mental health space that people are able to see, you know, psychiatrists for free or that, you know, all of these tools are readily available. Just like what happened in the fitness world where 20 years ago, the only way to get a workout was to literally drive to a yoga studio and take the class and right. you know pay for your class. And now 20 years later, because of all the billions of dollars that have been put into that industry, you can access thousands of workouts completely for free on apps and it's all being paid and fueled by VC companies. And so, yeah, really proud of that work and everything that Wondermind is doing to democratize and destigmatize mental health. Yeah. I know. Do you feel like there's sort of a lack of people putting their money where their mouth is? Because obviously mental health is, yes, becoming a bigger conversation. And I feel like a lot of companies say that they care about it, even when it comes to their employees. But I don't know how much they're actually like putting that into practice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely think that through my experience of Nusa, Wondermind, et cetera, I've seen a lot of huge companies actually deploy a lot of capital or budget a lot of capital to do initiatives about mental health and actually not just check a box, but the people executing those campaigns actually care, which is amazing to see. I think there's so much more to be done, but just like on this podcast that Maybelline is powering, you know, they are putting their money where their values are. That's how we say put your money where your values are. And so that's when you can really tell when brands are not not just trying to use mental health as an agenda to, you know, sell a certain product. Mm -hmm. They're actually putting money towards creating resources and content that could inspire and empower people. That's what's really exciting. So I was really excited to be a part of this, not only because of you and how big (laughs) of a fan I am of you, but also because it's amazing to see a huge beauty brand, you know, know, putting their dollars where their values are. Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons why I was also so excited to work on this project because, yeah, I feel like as much as a lot of companies and especially like, you know, I'm in the fashion and beauty space, as much as they say they care about mental health, a lot of times it just feels like they're commodifying 
self-care and all of these things. So yeah, to see a global brand like Maybelline actually want to consistently create content around destigmatizing mental health is just really, really meaningful. And I feel so honored to be a part of this project. Same. Thank you so much for having me here. As someone running two big companies slash kind of three, how do you approach taking care of your mental health with the stress of the jobs? What is that balance like? There's a lot of stuff that I've been working on and some stuff that is going to come out in the next few months that's very exciting. And I think the way I approach my mental health now is I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm still not perfect. I'm still growing every single day. And it's been almost nine years into my mental health journey of officially getting the diagnosis, et cetera. And I'm still nowhere near perfect. I learn every single day and I try not to punish myself for when I do have to miss a therapy appointment because of something that comes up. But I think I used to have a mindset even just last year of, oh, this business thing came up, so I have to cancel my therapy because this is more important. But then now I'm more of the mindset of, okay, yeah, this might be a really important thing that I need to do, but if I don't have my mental health intact, this is just a Band-Aid. This is a short-term solution of me just canceling it to do X, Y, Z. Yeah, It's better if I don't cancel and I am at the appointment and completely just listening to my psychologist and not thinking about anything having to do with work, this is going to pay dividends in the long run because I'm going to be able to function a lot better. Yeah. And so it's still not perfect. I still cancel my therapy all the time because of last minute business stuff, but I'm really working on, yeah, I try not to punish myself too much for it, but I am really trying to prioritize that over anything that even feels so important in the moment because usually it's not as important as I make it out to be. And it's something that I can reschedule. And I work during the weekends because I love what I do. I would not want to work on the weekends, especially with all the new stuff I'm doing. And so I try to, if I am really tired a weekend or I'm not excited to do work during the morning of a Saturday, I'll say, okay, I'm going to take half the day off and I'm just going to, you know, go sleep and take a nap and watch a movie and then go back to work. And even if I don't feel like going back to work after that, then I'll say I'll be okay and allow myself to not feel guilty about taking a Saturday to myself because I need it. Yeah. And that's where I used to feel so guilty for taking any time for myself. And so it's definitely always a learning process. And I go back and forth between feeling like I I have it right and then having to go on a work trip for two weeks in different countries and feeling like I stopped my routine Mm -hmm. and going back into it. But it's just, you have to forgive yourself, I think, for anything that you feel you're doing that maybe isn't aligned with you putting your mental health first. Okay. And instead of just being like, oh, well, I missed you know, a therapy session this month, so I might as well just not do any this month. It, <laughs> I have the mindset now of, no, now I will go into the next therapy session and I won't feel guilty or bad. I'll just take as much advantage of it as possible so that I can be the best version of me, not only for myself and the people who I love, but also for the incredible team members on the businesses that I'm working on who deserve to have me fully present and trying the hardest I can. Yeah. 
But I also assume because you're so many years into this, you also probably have the tools to help you navigate things, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm way luckier than (laughs) most. When I first booked my psychiatrist appointment, I literally was like, this is all my savings and I had to spend it all. And luckily I'm in a position where because of a lot of hard work and long nights and, you know, a little luck that those things aren't an issue for me anymore. And so I'm incredibly privileged to be able to miss a therapy session and then schedule another one a few days later or whatever, where I would never have been able to do that just a few years ago when the newsette was still not making as much money as it makes now. And I I wasn't doing as much as I am now. So I think for me, if I was putting myself in the shoes of who I was in college or even just a few years ago, where I wouldn't have the option to just skip it. It's like, no, I'm, I have to pay for the session. Like I have to go. I think if I did miss that, I would probably make myself feel a lot more guilty because, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have this money to spend and I wasted it because I didn't even go to the appointment, et cetera. Yeah. And so if you are in that position, again, there's no point in punishing yourself if you couldn't make that therapy session for whatever reason, it's done and just don't do it the next time. I don't feel like punishing yourself for accidentally missing something or maybe missing it on purpose and thinking about almost therapy as something that you have to go to instead of something you're excited about is productive. And so for anybody who doesn't have the resources right now to be able to be flexible with your therapy sessions, which you know I was in the same position a few years ago, then treat those therapy sessions as if they are like almost a vacation from your day-to-day life and look forward to those and block out time right after if you're able to, you know, a lot of workplaces and cultures are very understanding of you having half an hour, an hour for just your mental health period or seeing your psychiatrist or psychologist, et cetera. And so I would just frame it in that way. Whereas I'm just constantly working every meeting, whatever, and I almost see it as, oh, this is going to be a distraction. I think I should actually probably see it, advice I need to follow (laughs) to see it as like a mini vacation in my day. I think that actually would be a lot more helpful for me instead of seeing it as something that is taking my time away from helping my businesses and everybody who has given their passions to my business by working with me as much as they can. Because if I'm not at my best, then I I can't do that. Totally. And you probably because you've been working through this for so long that you also have your own little tips and tricks to help you manage your symptoms and anything that might come up for you sort of like in the day-to-day in the event that you have to skip a session, right? I definitely do have some tips that work for me and they might not work for everyone. And if anyone has their own tips, please DM me on Instagram (laughs) because I'd love to hear them. But for me, I bought a weighted blanket. And sometimes during the day, like if I'm having just a really stressful day, I won't feel guilty by telling Nora who works with me to say like, please cancel a call I have in an hour because I need 15 minutes 
of when I would have that call to just lay under my weighted blanket mm. or try to do a meditation. I'm not good at meditating and I want to get a lot better, but I'm really good at the sleep meditations <laughs> and just kind of feeling every part of your body, et cetera. Or I'll watch 10 minutes of something like Project Runway mm. in between meetings that makes me like really excited and hyped and is something I love to watch or I'll play with my dogs for five minutes. So I guess just knowing if I am in that state of mind instead of, and most of the time I just have to power through. Sometimes there's no, of you know, there are calls that can't be moved. So you, yeah. you just have to do it. Mm-hmm. But then if that's the case, then I give myself time during the night to just relax and not think about anything and read a book or mm-hmm. listen to an inspiring podcast. But if it is during the day and it's something that I can move, I will prioritize myself. Whereas before I would have been like, oh, I can't move it. You know, right. that like it's an internal call. And instead I'm like, I rather move it and then be my best self during that call with a team member than keep it and be silently suffering. Yeah. I love all your self-care rituals. I actually have a weighted blanket, but I've never used it. I don't know. You why. should. You should. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm going to try it out. Some people love it. I love it. Some people don't like it and it makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm like claustrophobic. Yeah. But I like it because it almost feels like someone's giving you a big hug. hug. And I, I usually don't like to be touched by people. Right. Like I hate massages and stuff, but like oh this God. just makes you feel, yeah, I know I'm the one crazy person <laughs> who hates massages, but it makes you feel like you're grounded. And mm-hmm. I love the feeling. So I definitely recommend you take it out of the box. going to try it. Obviously, social media can also seriously impact mental health in both a good and bad way. So how do you approach and use social media in your life? You know, I have seen so many people in my life, in my professional life, in my personal life, just become so depressed because of comments that people who don't even know them are making on their photos or their videos, et cetera. And so I have kind of been scared of social media, especially as somebody who does not look like the typical person who runs a few companies and has done what I've done. I always feel like there's someone out there being like, oh, how did you do this? Or why are we celebrating someone who didn't go to business school? Or I don't know, like they're just my like insecurities. So sometimes there'll be comments where I'm like, that's hurtful, but it's almost like there's so many bigger problems happening during the day that I like to put it like, okay, am I going to really ruin my day because someone's saying that I'm ugly or something rather than like, you know, I have all these problems to solve for people who their livelihood relies on our business. Mm -hmm. And so I try to put it into perspective there and not that it doesn't hurt, but I'm able to kind of think about something else. However, how I've used social media. And again, it's definitely opening myself up to the haters or bullies or whatever, but I really try to make it a big effort, especially on Instagram and TikTok to be very honest about my journey. And I even posted a very embarrassing video of me trying to get this WeWork scholarship my senior year of college and talking to the camera about the news ad. And I sounded so green and it was cringeworthy for me to watch, but I wanted to share it because I wanted people to see, look, got to start from somewhere. Yeah. I went from this to somebody who now does not feel embarrassed to talk about Mm -hmm. their business or nervous to speak in front of a crowd. You can do it because I never thought that I would ever stop 
stop being embarrassed about talking about myself or feel awkward or anything. And I've really learned to make it a superpower of mine to sell who I am and what I stand for so that hopefully other people will stand for the same thing. So, you know, gender equality and not underestimating people just because of their age or their gender or what minority they're a part of, et cetera. So I definitely am very open and honest about my mental health as well on social media. So OCD, ADHD, depression, talking to the camera sometimes feels very weird to me. I'm not somebody who can be like, hey fam, or like, what hey bestie like, makes me feel, <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel really, really embarrassed. And, I get it. I you get know, it. Self-conscious and even just looking at myself in a picture or a video sometimes makes me feel really self-conscious. But sometimes I try to do videos to just share like, hey, I'm, you know, I know that there's a all these amazing headlines about me, but like I'm actually having a really shitty day and, you know, I suffer with X, Y, Z or even showing a picture of all of the medicine I take every day just to try to normalize that. And Mm -hmm. those are things that I think a lot of people might think, why is she posting that? And honestly, the only reason is because and I even have it in my bio. I have ADHD and OCD. That's the first thing people see after, you know, the things that I'm part of that mm-hmm. look very shiny and fancy because I would never want someone to see me and see the title or the headline of the incredible articles and think, wow, right. she must be so perfect or whatever. Right. Of course. I'm literally somebody who failed my business project, who questions herself every single day, who is still learning how to manage her mental health mm-hmm. and who is definitely not even close to being perfect and is learning from everyone around me. And Mm -hmm. so that's who I want to portray if somebody even takes 30 seconds to look at my social media, not the fun things I get to do or the things that come with becoming a multimillionaire at 25 or whatever, because I just like to be truthful about how much mental health does still affect me and money doesn't solve all problems. And so I actively am working on ways to try to help as many people as possible because I'm in a lucky place where I can because my mental health even earlier this year was worse than it's ever been in my entire life. And people would look at my life and think I'm living the dream and I am, but you never know what's going on inside someone's head. Totally. And two things can be true at once. You (laughs) can be hugely, hugely successful and you can also have moments where you're struggling. And that's just the fact of the matter. (laughs) Daniela, this has been such an amazing conversation. But before we wrap up here today, I was wondering if you had any parting advice you'd like to give the audience. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Again, I'm such a big fan of the show and such a big fan of Maybelline, a brand putting their money where their values are, like we talked about. And so thank you for having me here and caring about my story. And I I hope that anybody hearing this story feels that they can tell anybody in their life who is struggling with mental health, or if you are struggling with mental health, hopefully you feel like you can be unstoppable and do anything. But I guess that ties into my advice. I think literally I was the poster child for do not invest or believe in this entrepreneur, Latina and her early 20s or 19 when I started, not an Ivy League education, no VC funding. I got laughed out of every VC boardroom. I literally had no one on my team for the first three years. I 
had no idea what I was doing. I had zero connections. I was just like, I would not bet on myself if I was on the outside (laughs) and I was able to do it. Like you can do it too. So don't let anybody ever convince you that they know your destiny or they know what you're capable of because truly you will surprise yourself of what you can become and nobody has the power to tell you what you can do. Only you do. I love it. Thank you so much, Daniela. Thank you so much, Chrissy. I want to give a huge thank you to Daniela for coming on the show today and talking about her journey to success despite her mental health struggles. And remember, we're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. For more information, visit Maybelline.com slash Brave Together. And don't forget to make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York.